Hi there. Welcome to the tenth episode of Stories That Made Us. In this season, we visit the creation stories from around the world. This episode covers the Buddhist tale of our origin. Now, Buddhism doesn't have a creation myth in the traditional sense. The religion, after all, is atheist in its core. In fact, questions about the eternity or infinity of the universe are counted among the fourteen unanswerable questions which the Buddha maintained were counterproductive areas of speculation. He insisted that time and effort were better spent in achieving the meaningful goal of self-realization than to discuss and debate hypothetical questions like these. However, there is a tale in the Agana Sutta that may be considered as the Buddhist creation myth. Many believe this text to be a satirical fable. They claim that this sutta is less about creation and is more of a refutation of the caste system, which is a prevalent Hindu ideology of a rigid class system that is determined by birth. Nevertheless, this tale was orally handed down through generations until it was finally transcribed around the first century BC. Regardless of whether one believes the fable to be a creation myth or not, it remains a doorway to our understanding of Buddhist thought. In fact, Buddha's message in the text is very clear: that the most important thing in the world is truth or Dhamma, and everything is created, measured, and valued based on this truth. So, without further ado. Let's dive into the story. Lord Buddha once travelled to Savatthi, where he was a guest in the mansion of Megara's mother. He was accompanied by Vasetha and Paradwaja, two disciples on the path of monkhood. One evening, the two noticed Lord Buddha awakened from his secluded meditation. They followed the Lord to the garden. Where he embarked upon a leisurely stroll, seeing this, Vasetha turned to Bharadwaja and said, "Friend, it is rare that one finds the Lord away from meditation. Let us approach the Great One, for we may be fortunate enough to hear His precious discourse." Bharadwaja, excited at the prospect of hearkening words of wisdom from the Lord, Readily agreed, the two disciples thus accompanied Lord Buddha in his walk, following him through the garden. They walked for a while in silence, for neither knew how to approach the great Buddha. The Lord, however, was aware of his disciples' eagerness to hear a discourse. Breaking the serene silence, Buddha remarked. Vasetha, you and Paradwaja are Brahmins, the priestly caste. It is considered by many to be the highest caste of all. People born as Brahmins are said to be teachers and custodians of sacred knowledge and rituals. You have both come from illustrious homes, from a life of luxury and plenty. 
and yet you have renounced them to be ascetics, monks living in poverty. Do the other Brahmins not revile and abuse you? Indeed, my lord, replied Vasetta with a bowed head. They do revile and abuse us and are eager to reproach and curse our choices. What kind of abuses do they hurl at you, dear disciple? inquired the Buddha. Well, my lord, we are reminded that Brahmins are the highest of all castes. They tell us that Brahmins are meant to be pure and that they are the true children of Brahma, the Creator. People say that we must be foolish to have relinquished this honour bestowed by the Creator. They say that we've deserted the Brahmins and associated ourselves with baser castes. They remind us that it is not proper for a Brahmins to be monks or to mix with people from inferior castes. Then, my dear Vasetta, replied the Buddha, the Brahmins have forgotten their ways. The Brahmins are born of wives of Brahmins, wives who become pregnant, give birth, and suckle their babies like those in any other caste. Yet, these people born of nothing more than the womb of their mothers audaciously speak of being born from the Brahma's mouth. These Brahmins misrepresent the god of creation. They tell lies to deceive and hold power. After a brief silence, the Lord Buddha explained, There are four castes, Vasetta and Paradvaja, the Khatiyas or warriors and the Brahmins or priests are the highest among them. Then come the businessmen or Vaishyas, and finally the Shuddhas or hunters and workers. The people belonging to each caste are venerated and represented in such an order. The Khatiyas and Brahmins are revered for being pure, while the Shuddhas are considered to be base and impure. However, do we not see that people may be moral or immoral, virtuous or base, good or bad in every caste? Do we not see Brahmins and Khatiyas partake in base activities, while Vaishyas and Shuddhas display virtuous actions and thoughts? Both states of good and bad those that are praised and blamed by the wise are scattered indiscriminately among the four castes. The wise do not agree that only the Brahmins possess virtues, while the Shuddhas are evil. Wise men do not recognize the claim of the Brahmin caste as being the highest. Why is that, Vasetta? It is because Anyone from the four castes can become an Arahant, the one who sees through the darkness and illusions of the world. It is the Arahant, my dear disciples, the one who has destroyed all corruptions within, one who has lived a life devoid of baser wants and desires, one who has done what has to be done 
according to the laws of Tamma or truth, and has achieved the highest goal in life, Parinibbana, Nirvana after death. It is this man who is proclaimed as supreme by the virtue of having realized the ultimate Tamma, the eternal truth. After all, Dhamma is the best thing for people, be it in this life or in the next. The wise know that anyone in the world who places his trust in the Dhamma can say, I am born of Dhamma, created by Dhamma, and an heir of Dhamma, no matter what caste the person was born into. Lord Buddha now took a seat under the shade of a banyan tree. His disciple sat next to him, meditating upon the deeper meaning of his words. They looked at the Buddha, pleading for him to continue. The Lord too looked at his disciples and smiled. Nodding his head slightly, he sat in the lotus posture of meditation. Closing his eyes, the Buddha continued, The universe undergoes phases of expansion and contraction. There comes a time after many eons when the universe contracts. At this time, there are wise luminescent beings born in the Abhasara Brahma, the astral world. They dwell in the cosmos, living in the astral plane. They are self-luminous, feeding on delight and happiness, and moving gloriously in the universe. They stay in this everlasting and gratifying state for a long time. In this period, there are no stars or sun, there are no planets or galaxies. But sooner or later, the universe begins to expand again. When this happens, these beings of the Abhasara Brahma pass from the astral world and are reborn in this world. This is the material world that we see around us. Here, they dwell in much the same way, feeding on delight, being self-luminous, and moving through air. At the end of the last contraction, and the beginning of the current expansion of the universe, there was just one mass of water, and the rest was darkness, blinding darkness. There was no sun or moon, no constellations or stars. This was before there was time itself. It was like this for a very long time. Gradually, as the universe continued expanding, Earth spread itself over the waters where these enlightened beings were. The Earth back then was nothing but a thin veil stretched over the water. This Earth was endowed with color, smell and taste. It was the color of butter and it tasted as sweet as honey. The disciples Vaseta and Paradwaja were sat upright, eager to hear more from their master. 
the two contemplated the Lord's words while being anxious to hear more. And so continued the Buddha. There then came a time when one of the beings, being curious and greedy, looked at the earth and remarked, What could this thin veil be? What is this that forms over the water? The being tasted the earth with its fingers. In doing so, it became besotted with the flavor, and craving arose in it. The other being saw this and proceeded to taste the earth for themselves. They too were taken by the pleasures of taste and flavor. Now, pleasure was a feeling that was new to these beings. From pleasure arose craving. And so, they set off, breaking earth with their hands to eat it. And as the beings caved into their baser feelings of desire, greed and craving, their self-luminescence disappeared. As the beings grew dimmer, the sun and the moon appeared, and night and day could be distinguished. With greed and desire came time, and with time came change and impermanence. The universe thus evolved, setting the laws of science and nature that govern us today. Now, these beings continued in this way for a very long time. They kept feeding upon the earth, being nourished by it. As they continued to do so, their bodies became coarser. The beings began to look different. Some were handsome, while others became ugly. Eventually, the good-looking ones despised the others. We are better looking than they are, they said, and became arrogant and haughty. This is how pride emerged in the world. By and by, their greed drove them to eat all of the earth. When this happened, the beings realized the error of their ways. They came together and lamented the loss of earth. And when the earth had disappeared, said the Buddha, a mushroom cropped up. This mushroom smelled wonderful and tasted delicious. Much like earth, the mushroom was also the color of butter and sweet as pure wild honey. The being spied the fungus and began eating them for sustenance. This too lasted for a very long time their bodies becoming coarser still as they devoured the fungus. Then, when the fungus too disappeared, there appeared creepers, shooting up like bamboo. They too were sweet like pure wild honey. As the beings devoured more and more, their bodies became coarser. The handsome of the beings continued to despise those that were ugly. Pride, hatred, and arrogance began holding deeper roots among the beings. Eventually, the creepers too disappeared. Then rice appeared in open spaces. Free from powder and from husks, 
This rice was fragrant and clean-grained. The beings instantly began to feed on this rice. This too lasted for a very long time. As they fed on this rice, their bodies became coarser still, and the difference in their looks became even greater. Then the female developed women's genitalia, and the male developed the male reproductive organs. Men and women became excessively occupied with one another. Owing to this excessive preoccupation, passion was born in this world. The bodies of these beings burned with lust, and later they indulged in sexual activities. Those who saw the men and women engage in these activities hurled dust, ashes, and cow dung at them, crying, Die, you filthy beasts! How can one engage in such gross acts? Those who indulged in such activities were not allowed into the village or the town as penalty. Inevitably, those who did indulge in sex began to build themselves dwellings or houses to perform these activities under cover for the fear of being thrown out. This is how lust, privacy and shame began spreading in the world. By and by, it occurred to the beings that they did not have to pick the rice every time they ate. Well now, said one, why should I be bothered to gather rice in the evening for supper and then again in the morning for breakfast? Why shouldn't I gather it all at once for both meals? And he did so. Then when another one came to him and said, Let us go gather some rice, he said, No need, my friend, for I have gathered enough for both meals. Then the friend, following this example, gathered enough rice for two meals at a time as well. Eventually, everybody began to gather rice at the same time for both meals. However, when these beings began storing rice, husk began to envelop the grain. Moreover, where the grain was once reaped, it did not grow back again. Now they had to plant the rice to sustain themselves. Seeing this, the beings realized their folly. They all came together and lamented. Wicked ways have become widespread among us. In the beginning, we lived in the astral world and fed on delight. We then began to turn in unwholesome and undesirable ways. Our wickedness has brought about a scarcity of food. We now have to plant rice in fields to be able to feed ourselves. Though they lamented their ways, it was too late to change back. Ultimately, the beings divided the land into fields. They made boundaries, demarcating one's land from another's. This is how possession and possessive thoughts developed in these beings. The Lord looked elegant as he sat, 
contemplating the creation and the nature of the universe in his meditative stance. Vasetha and Bharadwaja pondered upon the words of the Buddha. They thought deeply of the discourse as he explained how evil invaded our hearts and minds. Buddha, sitting in the lotus posture, continued. Then Vasetha, one greedy being watched his neighbor's plot keenly. He wondered how rich he could be if only he usurped the land and the rice of his neighbor. So one day, he forcibly seized the neighbor's plot and began profiting from it. The rest of the villagers were deeply angered by this wanton savagery. They came to this greedy man with sticks and pitchforks and exclaimed angrily, You have done a wicked thing, taking another man's plot like that. They sternly reprimanded him. You are to return this land and never do such a thing again. The man swore to follow the will of the villagers. But he couldn't control his greed and did the same thing a second and then again a third time. When the villagers realized his transgressions, he was violently seized by them again. This time, no one was kind to the usurper. They hit him with their fists and sticks. Some battered him with stones. And this, my dear disciples, is how theft, censure, lies and punishment began in the world. Vasetha and Paradwaja barely had time to ponder over these words, for the Lord continued. Then, dear disciples, those beings came together. They mourned the rise of evil among their ranks and were worried that in time, crimes, punishments and censures would be the norm. Keen to avoid such undesirable actions, they said, Suppose we appoint a certain being who would be in charge of ensuring that nobody succumbs to their baser habits. Suppose this being was to show anger where anger was due. He would censure those who would deserve censure and banish those who deserve banishment. If only someone were to agree to this responsibility, we might be willing to share a portion of our rice with him as a token of appreciation for his work. All agreed that this should be the case. They then went to the one among them who was the most handsome, most pleasant and most capable. They asked him to make laws and lay judgments on their behalf in return for rice. The man agreed. This is how the word Mahasammata, the people's choice, came to be. This was the first title that was given to the man. He was then given a second title, Khatiya, which means Lord of the Fields. Slowly but surely, as the man continued to dispense justice and foster peace, he was called by a third title, Raja, the king. 
The word means nothing more than he who gladdens others with dhamma, the laws of righteousness. This then, Vasetha and Paradwaja, is the origin of the class of Khatiyas. This is how the ancient title was accorded to them. They originated among these very beings and are no different than others. They got this title for their ability and willingness to act as per Dhamma. This title was based on righteous actions and not accorded to them at birth. Always remember, my disciples, that Dhamma is the best thing for people, in this life and in the next. Then some of these beings wondered about the nature of the evil things that appeared before them. They reminisced back to their old selves when they were all mind-made, fed in delight and lived happily for all eternity. They thought to cast aside evil and unwholesome things and return to that state of eternal happiness and beauty. These people left the villages to live in the forests. There, they made leaf huts and spent their lives meditating upon the nature of the self and the universe. They came to be known as the Brahman, which was nothing but a title that implied those who put aside evil and unwholesome things. Now, these beings would cast aside any connection to land and rice. The Brahmins begged for arms and coins, with which they ate their evening and morning meals. They went from village to village in the morning seeking food and water. Afterward, they would return to their leaf huts in the forest to meditate. People saw this and mentioned them by a second title, Jayaka, which means they meditate. However, my dear ones, some of these Brahmins could not meditate and live the demanding life of a Jayaka. These people settled in towns and villages. They read and compiled books and stored knowledge. People saw these Brahmins not meditating, but writing scriptures and rituals. They called them the Ajayaka, meaning those that do not meditate. This became their third title. Now, in those times, an Ajayaka was regarded as a low designation, nowhere as prestigious or noteworthy as a Jayaka. But over time, they came to be respected. This then, dear students, is the origin of the class of Brahmins. This is how they got the titles that were bestowed upon them. Remember that much like the Khatiyas, they too originated from the same beings as themselves. They were no different from the rest, except in their chosen occupation and lifestyle. Their title was bestowed to them as per their dhamma and was not dependent on their family of birth. Dhamma is the best thing for people, in this life and in the next.
Lord Buddha then opened his eyes. He looked lovingly at his two disciples, who sat reverently beside him, keenly listening to his every word. He knew that these words would be hard for his disciples to comprehend and impart to others, for the caste system was so entrenched in the society that people accepted it without question. Nevertheless, the Divine One continued. Now, the rest of these beings, those who were neither Brahmins nor the Khatiyas, adopted various trades. Some chose to be merchants and men of business. They indulged in artisanship and became traders of various goods. Various is the meaning of the word Vesa, which is how society came to identify these men of trade. This, then, is the origin of the class of Vesas, as per the ancient titles that were proposed for them. But, my dear ones, not all were wise in the art of business, nor did all possess the skills of a craftsman. Those that remained chose to hunt for sustenance and livelihood. Those who are base and live by the chase, or Shuddha was the title bestowed upon these people. And so it was that society in those ancient times were organized into these four classes. This is the origin of all groups. This is before the classes became rigid and dependent on birth and family. In these ancient days, people moved from one class to another, following their dhamma. After all, peoples of all groups came from the very same beings who inhabited the world. Their titles were given as per their profession and dhamma. Dhamma is the best thing for people, in this life and in the next. The Lord then looked at his disciples, for he knew the one question that Vasetta and Paradwaja had in mind. Before they could be prompted to ask, the Buddha said, and then Vasetta and Paradwaja, it so happened that some of these beings, regardless of their class or station in society, realized that the world is nothing but suffering. They became dissatisfied with their own dhamma and sought seclusion for meditation and inner peace. These people went from having a household life into a state of homelessness. They thought to be ascetics or monks. They came from all walks of life. They were Kshatriyas, Brahmins, Vaishyas and Shuddhas. And so it was that from these four classes, the class of ascetics came to existence. But always remember the golden words. Their origin was from among these very same beings who were just like themselves. Their origin was as per Dhamma. Dhamma is the best thing for people in this life and in the next.
Buddha, having said this, remained silent for a while. He let his words sink into his disciples. Vasetha and Bharadwaja, meanwhile, contemplated the meaning and depth of the Buddha's words. They meditated to grasp the enormity of their Lord's discourse. The Divine One then continued, Now, my disciples, know that following one's Dhamma is the correct path. One who has led a bad life in mind, body and speech, one who has wronged others and has caused pain and suffering, will, at the end of this life, be reborn in a state of loss, ill-fate and downfall. This goes for all people, be they Khatiya, Brahmin, Vesa or Shuddha. Similarly, one who has led a good and kind life, one who has always sought to spread joy and happiness with his or her speech, thoughts and actions, will, as a consequence of such righteous views and deeds, be reborn with a good destiny and in a happy and divine state. Again, this too goes for all, regardless of their caste or class. It goes without saying that those who perform deeds of both good and evil, that is to say, most people in the world, would thus experience both pleasure and pain in their next life. Now, one who is restrained in thought, speech and actions, one who has developed the seven requisites of enlightenment, that one will attain Parinibbana, freedom from the cycle of births and deaths in this very life. This is regardless of their caste, class or station in society. This happens when one becomes an Arahant. This is the one who has destroyed human corruptions and has purged all base desires from heart and mind. This being has attained the highest goal. This man or woman has completely destroyed the chains that tie us to this world, the chains that tie us to the cycle of births and deaths. This person is liberated and is chief among all people. This too is done as per Dhamma. After all, Dhamma is the best thing for people. In this life, and in the next. Thus spoke the Lord Buddha, and Vasetha and Paradvaja were delighted and rejoiced at his words. That marks the end of this episode. Hope you enjoyed this story in the Agana Sutta. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. Your words go a long way in helping the podcast to be discovered by others. Connect with us on Twitter at stories thtmdeus. That's at stories thtmdeus for details on next episodes 
and snippet of folklore from around the world. Reach out to us on email at info.storiesthatmadeus at gmail.com. I'll see you next week. Until then, goodbye.